1: It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner.
2: Good afternoon. Welcome to The Middle. Every Saturday from 2 to 3, I am your host, Anthony Weiner. Thank you for joining us today in the middle of your Saturday afternoon. Hopefully you're in the middle of some good, productive time, some grateful times with your family, sometimes maybe at work, maybe you're getting some errands run. I appreciate you joining us here today on The Middle, every Saturday, 2 to 3, also available on WABCradio.com. You can get it in the form of a podcast on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You can reach me by calling in here at 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Rich, Diego, and Kevin will take care of you. At Rep Wiener is the Twitter handle and Wiener, WABC at gmail.com. It is great to have you along. An amazing week. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be joined in the in the middle of the program. We have to come up with a name for the middle of the middle of the program, uh, Councilman Joe Borelli. Council uh, member from Staten Island here in New York City and also an author of a new book, Staten Island in the 19th Century, from Boomtown to Forgotten Borough. We're going to talk to him a little bit about some issues of the day in the city, his position as minority leader or Republican leader. I don't know if he has a preference on what he's referred to. And also we're going to hear a little bit about his book, which is a very interesting read. Um, Ryan Adams brought us in New York, New York. One of my regular correspondents, Wendy, pointed out that he has some Me Too issues in his background. This is true. But I want to explain why I, I'm attached to that song. In addition to it being a song that um, I used when I ran for mayor, uh, if you want to go take a look on YouTube, he made a video uh, for that song two days before September 11th. And New York. it's an ode to New York City, and it features prominently the World Trade Center. And um, – uh, it, it's a it's a song that's very important to me, and I and look and I am the last person on earth, given the challenges that I have faced, and the ones I still deal with, to be erasing anyone. People can choose to think less of me because I play that song. I know Wendy thought it was a little risky, but I appreciate I appreciate that as our openers. This has been a a big week in New York sports. Not the best kind of week. It's in the Mets and Yankees keep chugging along. The Rangers, since we have met last this last week, since we last met on the middle last week, the Rangers lost three games. You know, they only scored four goals in those three games, had some tough losses, and look, this is the Tampa Bay Lightning. They are they are the two-time defending champs for good reason. They're a good team, and, you know, look, there was a dominant game on Tuesday. That Tampa was just dominant, but the other two games were pretty close. One of the things to keep in mind about the Rangers, and I've said this, you know, I want to stipulate, I'm an Islander fan, but as I've said all along, the Rangers all year were only an average five-on-five team, and they... They got fat on, on special teams, and in the playoffs, the later the series is and the later in the series, the fewer penalties are going to get called, in the, and, and the Rangers just haven't been getting those calls. And I'll tell you something else. The way you get calls in the NHL is possess the puck, and the Rangers have not been spending a lot of time with the puck on their sticks. Hopefully they'll do okay tonight. I, I am pulling for them. I'm an Islander fan. I don't want to – you know, they're not going to go and win four straight Stanley Cups. I'm not concerned about that, but – There is a bandwagon going on here in the city, and I think Councilman Borelli will ask him about it. We'll ask him what his prediction is for tonight. Another big thing that happened this week, uh, my son Jordan uh, graduated, I guess stepped up from elementary school, and I could not be prouder. He looked amazing, put on a a sport jacket and tie, didn't didn't flinch at that one bit. He looked really sharp. Um, I'm really proud of him. The, The biggest change between... Elementary school and intermediate school, where he goes next year, is that in, in, in elementary school, you got to pick the kids up. They won't let, they won't release the kid out into the street now in the grade he's going to be going into. So I'm just going to bubble wrap him in the morning, put him on the M14 bus, and uh, send him off to school, uh, send him off that way. Also, this week we started doing a little preparation for something hopefully I'll be able to announce officially sometime in the future. I'm, I'm doing a podcast here, like so many you got to check out some of the podcasts on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You can go look for them on wabcradio.com. They'll link to them. I'm going to be doing one called Keys to the City, which takes some of the ideas that I had in my years running for the mayor of the city of New York, being a city councilman, being a congressman. You know, people say, you know, there ought to be a law. This is some of my ideas. I had 124 of them, I think, in two books when I ran for office. And we're not going to devote hours to each one, but – They're going to be short podcasts. Maybe we'll bring on some guests who have interesting ideas. We're going to be calling it Keys to the City. I'm going to be going to that production process soon, and hopefully I'll be able to announce when it's available. Um, And some other interesting things going on in the city. The Belmont Stakes is going on today. It might be a sloppy track if it rains. Um, And I think on Monday, although I'm not a Franciscan, I think Monday is the Feast of St. Anthony's. I only know that because being named Anthony, I know that – St. Anthony is the patron saint of lost things. So if you have misplaced your keys, you're supposed to pray to St. Anthony. But he was also someone who um, who took care of his neighbors, as so many of these Franciscan priests did. So here on the middle, I'm going to go over some, some of the numbers of the week. Uh, 8.6, that's 8.6%. That was the year-over-year inflation rate in May, and that is just the tip of the iceberg. Here are some of the numbers. Chicken up 17.4%. Over the last year, largest inflation rate ever. Restaurants plus 9 percent, largest ever. A rent up 5.2 percent, the largest since 1987. Airfare, get a load of this, 37.8 percent, the largest since 1980. I don't know what to tell you. You know, the age of economic optimism is over. This is pretty bad. And I don't, you know, people say, well, how come. How come voters seem to be holding it against the president? Well, unlike some issues, you know, crime might be up, but not everyone is a victim of crime. Actually, statistically, st- reasonably, almost no one is, percentage-wise. Not everyone is in the stock market to go up or down, but everyone is it, it feels it when inflation is up. So tw- 8.6%. Another number this week that I found interesting is every once in a while, I, you know, you, we look at polls a lot in politics, but to me the more interesting thing, or sometimes – As interesting as I go to predictive markets, and what are those? Those are essentially gambling markets where people bet on outcomes that they expect to happen. They're not – in most cases, they're not in the United States. There are some markets that allow you to vote – to to bet on politics. But an interesting number this week is 28 cents. 28 percent is the number – of bettors on these predictive markets that think Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the United States, going to get elected in 2024. So I'll tell you how to read that. So that means that people are betting 28 cents and they win a dollar, effectively, is the way to look at this, if on on the first Tuesday of November in 2024, Donald Trump wins. That's how the payoff is. And so the markets believe that Donald Trump, now DeSantis is also at 28 percent, Biden is at 22 percent, Harris is at 9 percent, Booted edges at 7%. So, you know, very often polls will take a snapshot, who do you want there to be the president or that there. This is someone who – these are people that actually bet with money, and um, that's an important thing to keep in mind, that whatever you may think of the news of the week, and we're going to go into the January 6th hearings in a minute, um, the markets still believe that Donald Trump is most likely, or at least neck and neck with DeSantis, to be the next president. And the final number of the week, 60. That is the percentage of San Francisco – residents that voted to recall uh, Chasey Bodine. He was the, I say was, he was the district attorney in San Francisco who was recalled. And he was a progressive district attorney. He was one of that wave of progressive district attorneys that came in um, basically making the argument in a sentence, my job as a prosecutor is not to put people in prison. My job is to find justice. My job is to try to find justice all around and um, there's a lot has been written and said, OK, this is the end of that movement and look out New York City, look out Philadelphia, look out Chicago, et cetera. Let's be careful now. Let's not read too much into it. I mean, for one thing, the guy did not turn out to be a great politician and he only won in a ranked choice voting with 50.8 percent. OK, so it's not like he had a lot of support or an overwhelming mandate coming in. And it's not San Francisco is not like New York. It's not like those other cities I mentioned. It is not a heavily African-American City it's only five and a half percent black, and they've had a giant spate of Asian hate crimes, and there has been a general perception that that community has not been responded to the way that he would like. So, if you're starting to think, okay, let's let, you know let, let's start to put a nail in the coffin of the of the reform movement when it comes to criminal justice, maybe you're getting a little ahead of yourself because also in the last two years, the reform DA in Philly reelected, the reform DA in Chicago reelected, the reform DA in St Louis all reelected, but certainly um, an interesting note about that experiment that we're seeing in so-called reform prosecutors. But the big news of the week and what I want to devote uh, some time to is the January 6th hearings. And um, I'll be honest with you, I want to do this in a way that honors the type of show that I want to have. And I, the show is called The Middle because... I don't want this to be a show where we just take the two fringes and start yelling at one another. And if you've noticed, I haven't been perfect at this, but if you've noticed as I've been doing this show, I don't talk about Donald Trump a lot. And I'm going to try to talk about the January 6 hearings without talking about Trump. And not to say that if you want to call in at 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, that you can't. I'm just saying I am showing how I want to have this debate in a way that doesn't get people triggered and doesn't start to rehash old arguments. But 70% of Americans say that it matters that we learn all that we can about what happened that day. And Republicans, I will concede, are split. In the CBS YouGov poll that just came out last week, Republicans are about 50-50. 48% say it matters. 52% said it doesn't. But when you have 70% of all Americans saying that it matters, it means a lot of people in the middle really care a great, a great deal about this. And I've listened to, as I do, each week I try to listen carefully to the other hosts and to the conversation going on in 77 WABC. And I try to see if there's an element to the conversation that I can bring more context to. We call it the middle, not necessarily because it's you have to have a middle position, but I'm trying to get people to meet at least in the middle to have the conversation. So some of the things I've heard is that, you know, one is – there are other issues that are more important, like inflation is much more important. I would stipulate to the idea that inflation is very important. That doesn't mean you can't do both things. I mean, if you, I went back and I looked, you know what the inflation rate was for the four years during the Civil War? It was about 75%, okay? And we still managed to wage, you know, to kind of keep the union together while we The same was true when the hearings were held, the Watergate hearings, that year inflation was at 11% in 1974. So I get it, but it's not a great argument. I mean, to be honest, I would hope that members of Congress, 435 of them, 535 if you count the the, the Senate, they can have hearings and do more than one thing at once. And this was a pretty big event. Now, that brings me to the second thing I've heard people say, oh, this was a relatively minor event. Well, one way to decide that is to watch the hearings and to see what they put together. I mean, we've now had over 850 people that have been arrested in all 50 states. 300 have pled guilty. We've had 59, I think, plea, you know, pleas to felonies. We've had 19 people who have been convicted of assaulting police officers. And and speaking of that, you know, if you didn't watch the watch the hearings, and I, I watched most of them, I it, it, and you care about. Law enforcement, and you care about the police, or you're a retired officer, or you're an officer yourself, or have an officer. In the, the the testimony of Caroline Edwards, who was an officer who was harmed that day, you know, you should watch it and judge judge for yourself. Well, we we have cut one. This is a little bit about what she had to say. I'm sorry, cut one. Car- officer Caroline Edwards, you have that it one there. It
0: was carnage. It was chaos. I, I, can't e- I can't even describe what I saw. I, never in my wildest dreams did I think that, as a police officer, as a law enforcement officer, I would find myself in the middle of a battle. You know, I'm, I'm trained to detain, you know, a couple of subjects and, and handle, you know, handle a crowd. But I, I'm, I'm not combat trained and. That day it was just hours of hand to hand combat, hours of dealing with things that were way beyond any any law enforcement officer has ever trained for
2: I mean she's an officer she got a concussion that actually had videotape of her actually getting struck and knocked down and and I mean look what all I can say about this point, this notion that this was a minor event is if you watch the video presentation that they had, and, and some of the video came from a videographer who happened to be embedded there who was working on a project about the Proud Boys. So it's not like Democrat or Republican stuff. It's just someone who had a bunch of raw film. A third thing that I've heard said, and, and this one is particularly, is it's like it, this is too partisan, okay? Democrats are doing this for their political advantage. I think there's definitely something to that latter part. I mean, I definitely do believe that that there there is an element of, of partisanship here. But, the solution to that was to have an independent 9/11-style commission, like we did for Iran Contra, like we did for the 9/11 report, like we like we did for the Kennedy essay, like these big civic moments, and that was the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be early on. There was a consensus that that was going to be. So when it was made partisan, I want to ask the ask you, the listener. I want to ask common sense. Well, who made it partisan? Let me play a, 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 a clip, and you're going to hear first from, from majority leader at the time, Mitch McConnell, and then minority leader of the city of the House of Representatives, uh, Kevin McCarthy, talk about how they thought, what they thought about these events.
3: January 6th was a disgrace. American citizens attacked their own government. They used terrorism to try to stop a specific piece of domestic business they did not like. Fellow Americans beat and bloodied our own police. They stormed the Senate floor. They tried to hunt down the Speaker of the House. They built a gallows and chanted about murdering the Vice President. They did this because they'd been fed wild falsehoods.
2: We cannot just sweep this under the rug. We need to know why it happened, who did it, and people need to be held accountable for it. And I'm committed to make sure that happens. So... That's where it started. And somewhere along the way, the idea of a nonpartisan commission went away. And it didn't go away because of the choice by Democrats. I think most Democrats would prefer this to have been nonpartisan for the following reason. I think they believe that they've got such overwhelming facts on their side, and and this was so outrageous and everything else. But putting that aside, if someone says to you, well, don't watch the January 6th hearings because they're too partisan, it's not ideal. I get it. But the way to really judge it is, okay, let's assume it is partisan. Does that mean you still shouldn't be have some concern about what happened? And when we come back from the break, I'm again, I'm not mentioning Donald Trump at all here, but I am going to try to tell you three things that you if you didn't watch the hearings, you might not know happened. And also after the break, uh, Joe Borelli will be joining us to talk about his book, uh, Staten Island in the 19th Century from Boomtown to Forgotten Borough. You're on the middle. I'm in the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Thank you very much for joining us on the other side. We'll continue cold in the church on the upper west side I was holding finding new ways to make change reaching
1: across the aisle to work with both sides this is the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC.
2: And welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Every Saturday from 2 to 3, we endeavor to try to get a little more context, try to stay away from the fringes of the argument and get into the meat of it. Thank you very much for joining us. We're talking a little bit about the January six hearings, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. So I was just going through some of the explanations that I've heard about why we shouldn't care, why we shouldn't cover it or why we shouldn't be thoughtful about it. And, you know, the idea that issues or other issues are important. Yeah, we should be able to walk and chew gum in this country. The notion that this was a minor event. If you watch any of those hearings and watch some of the videotape, it this was not a minor event. And if you're, you know, there's not too many events that have 850 some odd people charged for the crimes they committed on the grounds of the Capitol. And just as we left, I was talking about the idea of how this would have been much better as a nonpartisan activity. But the Republicans refused to participate in that. But I've also said that I didn't want to get bogged down on this notion of the blaming of Trump, and I didn't want to even discuss Donald Trump as much as I could. But I want to give you some insight into some things that I picked up from these hearings that if you didn't have a chance, and I'm going to wrap these things up, and then we're going to go to Joe Borelli, who is, uh, who is uh, waiting to talk about his book and a little bit about the city. So the first thing that came out in these hearings that I had not seen really laid out as much as I had seen it is that... This is really turning out to be many of the voices from within the administration and within the and within uh, the uh, the, uh, within the White House who are turning out to be the witnesses that are most damning and most damaging about the response of the White House. Uh, This is not a bunch of Democrats saying stuff. It's not a bunch of nonpartisan experts. It's a bunch of people in the administration who are who are questioned about these things, Um, you know who said early on that they knew that there was no question about the legitimacy of the election, for example. That's one thing that comes out, is that it's not a whole bunch of people pointing fingers at the White House and saying you should have known better. It's people within the administration who are saying those things, including Bob Barr, including Ivanka Trump and others. Second, and this is fascinating, there's a whole lot of conversation about the threat that Vice President Pence was under. And if you recall, September, uh, January 6th was this notion of let's stop Pence from certifying the election, this purely ministerial thing that's talked about um, briefly in the Constitution. Basically, he receives the Electoral College votes. he didn't really have opportunities to open the envelope and then say, I'll take this one or not that one. But when they were talking about the response to the Capitol, there was a quote from, Gen- from uh, General Milley, who was the head of the Joint Chiefs at the time, that I found very interesting and that people haven't paid a lot of attention to. This is cut three, General Milley.
3: There were two, uh, two or three calls with Vice President Pence. He was very animated. And he issued very explicit uh very direct unambiguous orders there was no question about that and, and he was and, and and i can get you the exact quotes i guess from some of our records somewhere but he was very animated very direct very firm uh and to secretary miller get the military down here get the guard down here put down this uh situation uh, etc
2: now what was the word in there that I found interesting? He said orders. He said that the vice president was issuing him very – now you notice he paused for a moment before he used the word. He said specific orders. And the reason I found that r- jarring, and I even went back and, and replayed it when I was watching it on my DVR, is that there is this argument that the committee's trying to make that Donald – that the former president do, didn't do enough. But what was interesting is to hear the, the members of the military treating what the vice president was saying as he had authority that he really didn't have. Um, and and was, was there kind of this de facto 25th Amendment that had kicked in? That was interesting. doesn't get a lot of attention. The final thing, and it was only said in passing, and it was – I don't have a cut on it, but Liz, uh, Liz, Liz Cheney – yeah, Liz Cheney in her presentation said that later on in these hearings – and this is just one hearing. Later on in the hearing, they're going to talk about – um, uh, members of Congress who who are um, who who the, the hearings, the testimony has shown, asked for pardons, and I am dying to know what that's about. I mean, I don't know if it is about that they were asking pardons for other people because this was the end of the administration, and there was and that's when these kind of and that happens all the time. Members of Congress, I never would do it as a member of Congress, but other people have. Um, well, that's not true. I did ask for a commutation of Jonathan Pollard's um, sentence, but those those three things are what jumped out at me. I'm interested in hearing what you had to say. And even if you believe that, um, even if you believe that these hearings were much to do about nothing or inaccurate or whatever I want to hear about that as well. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC, 800-848-9222. And I don't know. Do, do we do we have Councilman Brelli on the phone on the phone yet? Okay, we don't usually do this. But, you know, because we usually use these musical bumps when we come out of breaks. But since it is one of uh, Staten Island's uh, um, um, proudest figures and one of one of their their uh, their favorite sons, let's go to a brief song in his honor. Special uninvited
4: guests came in through the back door. Ladies and gentlemen, it's bang! With the mantis, no the slim chances, chant this hand them swinging feet samplers, taking it straight to big man on campus. this your weapon or get dropped to the campus canvas. Scandalous, made the metro panic. Call static with over automatic. And while I'm at it, yo, you got cash pass it, it's classic. Caps in half
1: a Alright,
2: there it is, Wu Tang right, Klang bring us in. You know, you can make a list of the ten best rap acts on Staten Island, and you get some debate about it. Maybe we'll get some from uh, our next guest. Joe Brelli, welcome to the middle.
5: Anthony, thank you. You know what? You could have actually thrown a huge wrench in this and, and started out with some Joan Baez. <laughs> Nobody knows. Joan Baez, native Staten Islander. Who uh, the fuck Quite.
2: And if you want to talk about the continuum of music, what's further apart than Wu-Tang Clan and Joan Baez? Let's uh, talk about the middle. We have to find out. We have to put that on a on an algorithm. Thank you very much for joining us today. Hey, before we get into a conversation about about your book, which uh, I haven't finished it, read parts of it. Staten Island in the 19th century, from Boomtown to Forgotten Borough. I see you guys uh, shook a hand shook hands on a budget last week. Is is it, that seems kind of early? No.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was certainly the earliest uh, th- that I've seen uh, in my seven years uh, in the council. Um, and I think it's early because it's it's pretty, pretty much a good budget. I mean, I've seen good budgets. I've seen bad budgets. Um, there was extra tax revenue. Uh, we had some COVID money left over. So the money wasn't scarce. When the money's not scarce, it's easier to get people to agree.
2: Give me a couple of highlights.
5: Uh, Well, I mean, the most notable thing is certainly the the property tax rebate the first time in 13 years that that homeowners, small homeowners, people that qualify for star uh, will get a rebate. And when you add up the state's rebate. And the city's rebate, it'll add up to 450 bucks, which is actually – I mean, I wish it was bigger. But it'll be a, basically what the average homeowner saw in an increase over the past two years. So that's a good thing. Also, police budget, uh, they're calling it a flat budget. The progressives are putting a bit of a spin on it. But it's flat if you look at FY20, meaning we're basically back where we were before this, this fund the police movement took hold. Um, and that's a that, that's a very positive thing. There are some bad things. Uh, We didn't hire any more correction officers, which is a problem. Uh, Staffing levels at Rikers are problematic. Uh, More staffing usually leads to a safer prison, Uh, so uh, we do regret that that wasn't included. Uh, But overall, a good budget.
2: Let me ask you, has there been any conversation about going to Albany or going to the citizens of New York City and say, let's do what we did during the tail end of the Dinkins administration and basically hire a bunch more cops, maybe – Taking that property tax abatement or that or that that a lot of people folks are happy to get, but say, listen, crime is the number one issue. Let's hire some more cops. Is there any conversation about that right now?
5: Yeah, I, I think you're seeing uh, the, the numbers rising on the NYPD to address salary issues first. Uh, the, all the police unions have been without a contract for about three years. Uh, so we added some money to the budget to account for that. Uh, honestly, though, Anthony, the, the need really is in correction officers. I, I've been on Rikers Island more times uh, than, than most people need to be, uh, and there were times when I went to specific guard posts. I mean, just you have to use your imagination and, and imagine a, a prison show uh, with the correction officer behind some glass watching everyone. If you go to Rikers Island, there are some housing units that that the, the inmates are there. But there's no correction officer even watching them, Uh, and that's because of the staffing levels that have been allowed to continue. The mayor proposed adding 578 new officers. It was a council push led by a lot of the progressives on the council to not hire any uh, correction officers.
2: You know, but that's a curious phenomenon, usually a mayor's first budget when he is most politically muscular, for want of a better word. You know, given that public safety is job one, given that. Mayor Adams campaigned on this. And given that his, you know, frankly, the the correctional unions have been very supportive of hiring additional officers as well. I am surprised that not only did it come out not at 578, it came out, I think, it's at zero. Wasn't there zero new additional correction um, uh, uh, um, uh, job lines in in this budget?
5: Yeah, it it was zero. It was a goose egg. Uh, and, And frankly, the speaker herself also supported this. Um, but the council is dominated by progressives who don't want to have what they see as this as stain on their record uh, where they hired more correction officers, even though, uh, you know, violence on Rikers Island is disproportionate to the population. We have more slashings, more stabbings now uh, than when we had more population, which only can be attributed to the lack of, of staffing, the lack of, you know, scanners for weapons, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it ain't good what's happening on Rikers Island. And unfortunately, we're so obsessed with this plan to close Rikers. I mean, this is a plan that will cost $11 billion, basically 10% of our capital budget in our 10-year capital plans. So that means 10% less, assuming uh, we we, we can't borrow anymore, which we can't. I mean, the the bond uh, authorities and bond rating companies control how much we can borrow. So it's going to take up 10% of our capital budget over 10 years to basically rebuild jails that most people actually don't want or don't care about. Yeah, but i got to tell you,
2: Joe, if we are going to say let's hold people longer on bail, let's arrest more people, let's round up more people and hold them longer, even when, they, even when they're just awaiting, where, does that, where do they go? They go to Rikers, and you have a situation now, as you've described very well, that not only do you have manpower problems – You've got physical, physical structure problems. You have doors that don't lock on a prison. You know, that's not a yeah. good, you, you have, you have pieces of, of plexiglass that are being turned into shivs because they're falling apart. I mean, I, I understand that the, 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 uh, idea of jails in the four boroughs is controversial and is expensive, but I gotta tell you, the status quo was unsustainable on Rikers. Do you agree?
5: Yeah, but but here's the real shame. I mean the the real blame and the real shame and the real finger-pointing should fall on Mayor de Blasio, and I'm not just saying that because it's easy to poke fun at Mayor de Blasio. Uh, The Bloomberg administration, literally the last month that they were in office, the commissioner of DOC, deputy mayor, December of 2014 – all uh, 2013, excuse me – they all went out to Rikers Island. They took pictures with the shovel and and the ribbons or whatever, and they announced the groundbreaking of a new facility with 1,400 beds. Uh, 200 uh, 200 of them were for a brand-new state-of-the-art medical facility. So you would have had 1,200, 500 inmates on Rikers Island by today in a new, safe, modern, clean jail. The Bloomberg administration scrapped that plan. Put the money, the 500 or $600 million down as a down payment towards the closed jail uh, uh, plan, and we're nowhere closer to that than we were a few years ago. But again, had that not happened… A third of inmates on Rikers Island would have been in a new, clean, modern, safe jail. And that, that's a good thing. All New Yorkers should want that. We have to keep our jails in a state of good repair. I was at Otis Bantam, one of the prisons on Rikers Island, and I stood in, in, in an inch of water. I mean, I don't care what people did to get themselves in jail. When they're in our custody, they're our responsibility, and you can't house people with an inch of water in, in their cells.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right, and and also just to keep in mind that a good portion, about seventy five percent of people there, are just waiting dispensation of their of their cases because the rest of the criminal justice system is so slow and plotting. Well, I appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit about about your book. This is not your your first book. It's called Staten Island in the nineteenth century minority. Uh, uh, what is it from boom? What what is it, the subtitle from Boomtown to Forgotten Borough? Tell us a little Boomtown bit. To Borough. From, forgive it. Tell, tell us a little bit. First of all, are, this is a thing of yours, right? City city council's like your sideline, but you're actually you're a history guy. You teach history. You write about it. Tell us how this has always been a fascination of yours.
5: Yeah, I, I have a master's degree in history, just just because I enjoy school and I enjoy uh, reading history and even writing it. Um, this is the second book I put out. The first one focused on Staten Island during the American Revolution, which is, in my opinion, a really interesting period. I mean, Staten Island was actually the front line. Uh, of combat for for the majority of the war, people don't realize that they don't realize that history. Uh, how many sites uh, were involved in the revolution? Um, this book is about the 19th century, and it starts with how good things were going after the revolution. How good things were going in America in general. Uh, how good things were going for small town USA places like Staten Island and elsewhere. And it talks about how and why. We evolved into this idea that we should be part of this experiment called Greater New York. And in 1898, we became part of New York City. Staten Island actually voted 84 percent in 1896. The highest actual vote for consolidation was on Staten Island because people here believed in the promise that consolidation uh, into this city would lead to a huge develop uh, development and economic stimulus of their port infrastructure we're an island we have a lot of bulkhead and they thought they would be able to finance massive transportation infrastructure projects that were quite the rage at the turn of the century think the brooklyn bridge think the manhattan bridge etc so part being part of greater new york city was supposed to bring us all of those things and of course In the 20th century, we realized that for Staten Island, none of those things are actually going to happen. In fact, it wasn't until the city and state formed a new authority, the MTA, that we even got a, 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 a traffic bridge. Well, guy.
2: I want to ask you a little bit about how you think that vote would go if it were held today. Can you st- stand by we want well, to go a quick break. Can you stand by for a few more minutes and, and finish the of conversation course. well let 's go to a break we 're talking to Joe Borelli, the uh, the minority leader of the New York City Council city councilman representing the South Shore of Staten Island. When we come back we 'll find out what he thinks would be the vote if Staten Islanders got to vote again, whether they want to stay with New York City on the way back. <laughs>
4: can I'm just too hot to tell. Put on my gasoline boots.
2: Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. This is why Rich is the best. He brought us some Joan Baez to bring us back in.
0: is my name, and I drove on the train.
2: Welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Every so Saturday from 2 to 3, we go a little deeper into the issues, put a little context, a little meat on the bones. We have uh, Joe Borelli on the line. He is, do you prefer minority leader or Republican leader? I remember Jimmy Otto resented minority leader because he said, we're not going to be a minority forever. We're eventually going to take this joint over. What do you prefer?
5: I do like Republican Leader. Uh, I do like the way that sounds. You know, I'm, I'm not subtle at all about partisanship and, and where I stand on issues. So I do like Republican Leader, I guess.
2: Excellent. Well, welcome back. He's the author of Staten Island in the 19th Century. You can get it on Amazon from uh, B, uh, from Boomtown to Forgottenboro. Let's talk about that journey from Boomtown to Forgottenborough. And, you know, I represented um, Rockaway when I was in Congress. And when I campaigned on, the, on Staten Island, I found the sensibilities to be very same. Some of it is just... Some of it's geography, in my view, like this sensibility that, okay, there's the mainland and then there's us. There's the city, then there's us. Um, But there are reasons for Staten Island residents to feel that resentment. I mean, there are are substantive reasons, aren't there?
5: Yeah, I mean, and and, and that's, again, some of the point of writing this book is talking about how we've sort of always been this stepchild, this dumping ground for the authorities of the city and state. Uh, most notably in the 19th century, was the city's quarantine facility. Basically, ships would come at the time from Europe, bringing uh, immigrants, but also bringing d- disease and pestilence. And they located uh, twice the quarantine facilities on Staten Island. Now, if you know anything about Staten Islanders, they didn't really take this sitting down. So there were not one but two riots uh, where we burned down the quarantine building uh, and got rid of the authorities um, And then, again, you just look at some of the uh, other developments uh, over time. We were just left out of so much uh, development that happened uh, in terms of infrastructure as the new city started building out its roads, its bridges, its rail lines, its subway lines, its elevated trains, et cetera. It just never came.
2: Yeah. And what what is the sensibility today? If you were to – and I know this is asking you to speculate – but do you think today that if you asked residents of Staten Island that they can redo the referenda that they did in – was it 93? When was the referendum? Yep. Would they redo the referendum in 93, which overwhelmingly Staten Island residents – it wasn't really a referendum. It was more like a plebiscite just to see what people thought. Do you think it's 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 basically almost ingrained conventional wisdom that residents of Staten Island would rather not be part of New York City?
5: Yeah. I, I think if we had our choice, uh, we would probably leave. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously the caveats there are, are, can we afford it? Can we do it? Uh, I think we do. I think we can afford it. I'll give everyone the, the, the elevator pitch. So the city of Staten Island would be 500,000 people. It would be the 37th largest city in the United States of America. All cities generate their revenue from their, their register, basically the, the register of all property property tax generating properties within the municipality. At 500,000, believe it or not, we actually have more value in our real estate that we could tax than the cities of Atlanta, the city proper of Miami, uh, the city of Indianapolis with 800,000 people. We have more value in our real estate than all of Erie County, including the city of Buffalo. So if we just take our tax and tax our properties at the normal 2%, 1.8% that every municipality does, I don't think there's any problem that we could form our own government. Uh, And uh, when the city of Staten Island is formed, you know, if you call 911, someone's going to show up. If you if the the, the grass needs to get cut in the parks on Staten Island, someone's going to do it. It turns out, which is always a shock to people, it turns out uh, uh, that when you're not part of New York City, literally every other municipality not named New York City, they still manage to do all of these functional services uh, and still uh, have a government to operate.
2: Well, I'm not rooting for it. I certainly, I, I heard that sentiment a lot when I campaigned there in 2005 and again in 2013. I'm not in favor of it because I love Staten Island, and love for it. I love the the five boroughs. It's probably not going to happen anytime soon. But if you want to read more about the underpinnings of this conversation, Joe Borelli wrote a great book, "Staten Island, 19th Century: From Boomtown to Forgotten Borough." Joe, are you on? Are you on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that? You want to give them your handle on that?
5: I'm on Twitter, at Joe Borelli NYC. same thing on Instagram. If you follow me, you're definitely going to get a, deal, a daily dose of my wit and
2: humor. I don't know if that's an advertisement for it, but we appreciate <laughs> you being on, Joe. And when we come back here on The Middle, we're going to have uh, some of your calls at 800-848-WABC, a little bit more about January 6th. If you want to call and talk a little about Staten Island, you're welcome to do that, too. Right back here again on The Middle.
1: It's The Middle with Anthony
2: Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner, And welcome back to The Middle every Saturday between 2 and 3 with me, Anthony Weiner. Coming up soon at the top of the hour, uh, Curtis Slewa and I will be uh, talking about the issues of the week on left versus right, talking a little bit about the dismal poll numbers for Kathy Hochul and a couple of other our local officials. Now we're going to go to the phones. We have a lot of people stacked up. As I said in the intro, we're talking a little bit about the January 6th hearings, and um, I appreciate you joining me, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can always get this on the app, wabcradio.com, and it comes out in the form of a podcast every week. I encourage you to subscribe to that as well. A lot of folks have been waiting, and I appreciate that. Let's go to John in Staten Island. We just had a conversation about Staten Island. Welcome to the middle.
3: Hey, Anthony. Hey, listen, uh, the, the news broadcasting system I heard handed this time to the Democrats for the January 6th uh, committee. So will there be the news work, uh, news Media do the same for the Republican side.
2: They didn't. What, what, they they mean, didn't hand anything to anyone, John. They held a hearing in the United States Capitol, which happens all the time.
3: No, I'm talking. I'm talking about ABC, CBS, NBC. The game that's free time to be on TV.
2: What do you mean they gave right? them free time? They covered the news. That's their job.
3: Great. So now, if Jim Jordan wants to explain why he can't have his people go in there, and you have seven Democrats, two Republicans. And the people that he wanted to ask questions are not on then to ask the questions. Like why Pelosi didn't have the National Guards go in when you know the Justice Department and the FBI already knew that there was going to be trouble.
2: Well, hold on so a second. Why- hold on. First, let, let, let me, John, I appreciate it, John. Thank you for calling. Call us. again. Yeah, but a couple of things here. Yeah, if the Republicans want to have a hearing about a news or about something, they can have a hearing and people can decide whether to cover it. This isn't the Democrats, you know, you got to decide. All these broadcasting companies covered it as news because it was this enormous, it was an insurrection in our capital. Yeah, it's a pretty big news story. I mean, and and I, you know, I am told, I am here all day. Well, not really here all day. I'm just here for an hour in the middle. But I am here for any conversation about something they got wrong at these hearings. But one of the things that the caller got wrong is Nancy Pelosi doesn't control the National Guard. That clip that I played... Was the and 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 she doesn't control the FBI and she doesn't control the Department of Homeland Security. You know who does? That's right. (laughs) So it's not you know this whole idea that this. But if 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 someone wants to complain about and I and I mean it. If someone thinks they got something wrong at these hearings, that's one thing. Okay, I want to hear that. If someone says, well, they shouldn't have the hearings, that's a tougher argument for me because what's the matter with having hearings about something were, where tens of thousands of people uh, were on the steps of the Capitol and many of them were chanting, hang, hang, Pence, and they broke into our Capitol and that there are people who were literally dead over it? I mean, I think there there's two different arguments here, but but let's go. Mike has an interesting question. Mike and Comac, go ahead. Welcome to the middle. Are you there, Mike? Yeah. Go ahead, buddy. You're on the air. Okay. Um, regarding the um,
1: uh, re- regarding the uh, Capitol Police, when they were when they were um, waving in the protesters, okay, moving the barriers and letting them in, okay. Now I understand. Uh, after January sixth, they had about four or five uh, capital Police that committed suicide.
2: Two. Huh? I think there were two, sir.
1: No, 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 no. There was about four or five. Okay. Um, I got at least three from Reuters. Okay. Okay. Now, could they somehow properly investigate and find out if the person that was moving the barriers to let the people in, if he's one of those suicide people,
2: Well let me let me let me just let me just stop you on that point. First of all, the moving of the barriers. Did you watch the the, the hearings, Mike? I didn't watch the hearings. Okay. Here's what I would encourage you to do, because they had videotape of how those barriers got moved. They were not moved by police officers. Now there were once the, the the building was breached. And the line had been broken, and these police officers had been overrun. But take a look at the video of how those barriers came down around Peace Park, which is at the base of the Capitol. They were not moved by anyone. Now, but there, there was here, But the, you, you raise a good point. There was, there has been some controversy about the connection between the suicides of the police officers, the deaths that, were, that, that happened on the scene. There were a couple of protesters. That um, that died. One of them apparently was an accidental overdose. One of them was a heart attack. The only investigation of the Capitol Hill Police um, suicides. And thank you for calling us, Mike. Please try us again. Was that they were investigated because family members wanted them to be considered on the line in the line of duty deaths. And in both cases, the board that oversees the, these these decisions ruled that they were both um they were both uh, uh in, in the line of duty. That's as far as I'll go. But but if you go do some some looking around online and you look at some of the research about this, there there are some questions about whether these were directly as a result of the thing thing or not. But there's no doubt about it that I I, I played you um a cut from um Officer Caroline Edwards. She definitely was knocked unconscious and definitely has a concussion and definitely is still dealing with it. Um next let's go to Joe in North Arlington, New Jersey. Joe, you're in the middle. Thank you for calling.
4: How are you? I'm well. All right. I wish you were all up the middle, and I take my hat off to you. Thank you, sir. Now, uh, taking a step back, you, and looking at the whole situation, do you ever feel like the whole republic's going to implode?
2: <sighs> well, Joe, you certainly asked the heavy question of the day here at 252. Look, I don't believe that the rep- – I believe that our republic – is resilient, and I believe that ultimately the system held. The judiciary did not get rolled. The executive branch through the vice president did what it was supposed to do. The legislative branch did what it was supposed to do, but there's no doubt about it. We have people who now stand accused and some who have pled guilty to sedition. These were acts of sedition, meaning a blow against our state. I believe we can survive if we have places like here, not necessarily my show, The Middle, but just generally. If we have places that we can talk to one another and have these conversations in a way that we don't believe that the other side are intrinsically bad or evil, then I think that our republic can, can, can survive. But it doesn't happen without care. It doesn't happen without feeding. It doesn't happen without nourishment we have to nourish our democracy by making sure that when you try to overturn the government by force it's not successful and accountability is there that's that's my hope but you've asked the big question that arguably is what the hearing was really about let's go to larry in the bronx larry welcome to the middle you're on the air yeah hello hi larry Hey, listen, have
4: you ever heard this before? Mines is not the reason why. Mines is to do or die. They teach you that in the military. Okay. To respect your commander, right? Everybody is turning around going against Trump, these so-called Trump supporters, right? But no one has said anything about impeaching that bum that's in the White House today. Nobody is speaking about impeaching that bum for all the things that he is doing to the people in the United States. Second of all, right, there's a thing about the baby formulas, right? They sent all that baby formula ahead of time over to Ukraine. That's the reason why there is no baby formula in America.
2: All right, Larry. Well, I appreciate the call. Thank you for calling. Please call us again. Joseph in the Bronx. You're on, on the middle. Thank you for calling.
4: Uh, Thank you for taking my call.
2: My pleasure. Uh,
4: We we have to blame uh, those uh, election officials. They don't have to throw some of the mail away because that is the whole thing. I understand uh, aging or sometimes medical condition, the signature can change a little bit, but they, they can still make a follow up to uh where they uh they mail and then i arrest them and then uh if it wasn't them they they have to uh put them in cry or put them in jail
2: joe i, I joseph so, I, I appreciate you are you suggesting that mail in ballots you shouldn't have mail in ballots in elections uh, uh
4: they have they, they 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 have but they don't have to throw it away like uh, uh, the signature the signatures doesn't match.
2: So I don't know. Look, cool no, I appreciate Joe. Thank you for calling. Call us again. I mean, mail-in ballots. We've had mail-in ballots time memorial. There are ways that you can, that you can do it. There was no indication that there was, uh, any problems with mail-in ballots in the last election. We've had them for a long time. A lot of senior citizens rely upon them. We even have a list here in New York City for New York City. And I don't know how, if this is true for the whole state, that you can put yourself on a permanent mail-in ballot list. You automatically get sent a mail-in ballot every year. I don't see any problem with that. Uh, Larry in Brooklyn, welcome to the middle. Thank you for calling.
1: Yeah. Hi, Anthony. I'd like to ask you something. Sure. Do you believe that the Boston Tea Party in American history was an insurrection?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yes, mm-hmm, I do. Uh,
1: OK, therefore, you know, so when you throw out labels like, oh, there was an insurrection in January 6th, that's not really characterizing it as good or bad, because are you aware of the fact that top, uh, jurists in this country, like Rudolph Giuliani, okay, excluding his partisanship, have said that the, that the judiciary in this country, uh, and no, uh, notably the Supreme Court, has failed the people in refusing to take jurisdiction over the issues surrounding the election. So if that's true, then this so-called insurrection was justified. Refusing
2: okay? to take jurisdiction, they don't have to take cert on every case. Obviously, they don't take thousands and thousands of cases. They can take cert on whatever they want. Most law, most law is not made by the Supreme Court, as you know. It's made by the Court of Appeals.
1: The, well, the point is is that no, none of the courts in this country uh, 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 look to, to accept jurisdiction over the serious issues in the election. What and are you talking about? Every,
2: every, every one of those cases went to courts, and they were thrown out by courts, every single one. It, it, on jurisdictional grounds. Not on, on jurisdictional on, grounds. Only the Supreme standard. Court. The only all right, now I, I appreciate it. Let me just try to clear first a couple of things. One, the Boston Tea Party is hardly analogous. We were rebelling against that king. <laughs> yes. That's quite different than when you live in a democracy and you have an election and you lose the election and you and you and you wanted to do it by force. Of course, when you're fighting back against a king or an enslaver, that's an entirely different thing. But the, I think what Larry is referring to what Larry is referring to is there was a case brought by the Attorney General of Texas saying throw out the votes of people in Wisconsin. And, and the Supreme Court said quite appropriately, the Attorney General of Texas can't say throw out the votes of people in Wisconsin and in, in uh, Arizona and in Pennsylvania. That's what they said. Look, these cases were adjudicated up the Yinyak. You can say you don't like the way they came out, or you can continue to hold on to some theory of what you think happened. But they, you can't say they weren't adjudicated. They were adjudicated over eighty-something time. There was one technical case about a about a date a dating requirement in Pennsylvania that that I think did prevail, but it didn't amount to any any um, um, any 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 votes being turned over. By the way. All of this is an argument for going and watching the hearings. I mean, a lot of this was touched upon, that the people who were ginning all this up knew that there was nothing there. They said it. They said it in in, in this testimony. Even Bob Barr said that this was uh, was baloney. Uh, Jacqueline in Brooklyn. Jacqueline, thank you for joining us on The Middle.
0: Hi, Anthony. Um, One thing that you had mentioned before, uh, why people should watch the hearings, and I did watch the whole two hours, Um, on Newsmax, since it was on Newsmax rather than watching it on one of the major news networks. Um, You had said about – you were surprised that some of the people that worked in the White House were testifying. What I understand is the reason that – part of the reason that they were testifying is they are financially responsible for paying for their own legal counsel. And – Since they were part of the committee uh, and witnesses uh, and gave testimony to the committee, the committee is paying their legal counsel expenses. So follow the trail of the money. Are you going to say what the committee wants you to say? Are you going to have a biased testimony? In my opinion, probably so. And also, you mentioned about the National Guard. Why were the Capitol Police only at half staffing.
2: Hey, I I first of all the thing, these people testified because they were subpoenaed to testify. It's the law. You've got to respect a subpoena. That's why they were there. They're law-abiding citizens. They're Americans asked questions, they gave answers. I would encourage you to go watch it for yourself. Thank you for joining us on the middle. Coming up next, left versus right with Curtis Slewa. I really appreciate you joining us this afternoon, and we'll see you next week.